Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks for Your Word. And as I stand now to proclaim it, I ask for Your help. I ask that You would give us all um, ears to hear and eyes to see the beautiful things that You reveal about Your Son, Jesus Christ, in Your Holy Word. We pray in His name. Amen. I don't know if you noticed the uh, church sign down by the road uh, this week. Uh, We typically put the text and title of the uh, sermon on the sign. So this week, all week, uh, down on our church sign, the uh, title has been, Jesus is God. And um, that is because that is the title of this week's sermon. We're going to spend some time this morning on looking at the divinity of Jesus Christ. But truth be told, the reason why I chose the title, Jesus is God, is because I knew it would be placed on the sign. It's a rather stark statement. I'm sure it has evoked many reactions from commuters as they are heading up and down Lumpston Road. People are generally used to hearing Christians say, Jesus is Lord. And so they take it and they move on. I don't think they really stop to think about uh, what that means and all the implications because they hear it all the time. Jesus is Lord. But I imagine, especially for non-believers, to see the phrase, Jesus is God, well, that's a bit shocking. Everyone knows exactly what that means when we are claiming that Jesus is God. It means that we are claiming that Jesus is the Creator. It means that we are claiming that Jesus is their Creator. That He has ownership over them. And that His his authority over their lives is absolute. I've been praying this week that Jesus would use this short phrase to to stun people and maybe even to draw them uh, to faith in Jesus Christ. And as I said, we're going to be considering the deity of of Jesus Christ in this sermon. And the reason we're going to do so is because of Thomas' confession in verse 28 where he said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Uh, The reason Thomas ended, ended up making this confession is because He was not originally with the other disciples uh, when Jesus appeared to them. You'll remember going back a couple of weeks, and it's our habit of, uh, our practice rather, of um, preaching through books of the Bible. And so we've been in uh, the Gospel of John for quite a while if you're visiting with us. So two weeks ago, we saw how Jesus, on the day of his resurrection, late in the evening, he appeared in the room with the ten disciples. Judas obviously wasn't there, um, but Thomas also wasn't there. So there were ten along with some other disciples. And he appeared to them. It was on the first day of the week, the day that he um, was raised from the dead. And so we see in verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Well, Thomas eventually did join the other disciples and they tried repeatedly 
to convince him that Jesus had indeed appeared to them. But it was useless. All their trying to convince them, all their stories about Jesus appearing with them and them telling him, yes, we saw him, we saw his wounds, we touched him, we, we spoke with him. He would not be convinced. He was immovable in his unbelief. And so it's this episode that has earned for him the enduring nickname of Doubting Thomas. He stubbornly said, unless I see the hand marks, uh, I'm sorry, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Ray Steadman said that Thomas is more than a doubter. He pointed out that Thomas is determined not to believe. Notice how he puts it. Uh, Thomas said, "...unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe." He doesn't say, well, I, I can't believe. He's saying, I choose not to believe. I will never believe unless uh, I am able to, um, to put my finger into the nail hole in his hand and put my hand into uh, the wound in his, his side. So it is a deliberate choice that Thomas is uh, rejecting the evidence that is before him. All ten of the disciples, plus some of the ladies who had seen Jesus on the day of the resurrection, they've all tried to convince him. And he's basically saying, essentially, I'm sure he didn't call them liars, but by, in effect, that's what he's saying, I don't believe you. And he will not be convinced otherwise. Why would he be so stubborn in the face of these ten disciples that he has spent his life with the last three three years? He spent his life with them. Plus, he saw the miracles of Jesus. He was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Why would he be so stubborn and say that I will never believe that Jesus rose from the dead even though He was able to raise Lazarus from the dead? I think it's probably Thomas's way of grieving. He appears to have had a melancholy personality. Uh, remember what Thomas said to him in John 11 when Jesus said, we're going to, to, uh, to see Mary and Martha, the, the sisters of Lazarus after Lazarus died. Remember what it was, it was Thomas uh, who said, well, yeah, let's, it, uh, literally he said, let us also go that we may die with him. Lazarus died. Jesus, you're taking us there. The religious uh, leaders are going to be there because Lazarus was a well-known figure uh, in and around Jerusalem. And if you take us there, we're going to go ahead and die with you. But to his credit, Thomas went ahead and went. So it appears that he just had a, a glass half-full type of personality. A little bit of melancholy... Uh, in his uh, way of approaching life. And then you couple his personality with the pressure that the disciples were, were feeling after the death of Jesus. 
Remember last week, or two weeks ago, when we looked at this passage, all the disciples were huddled together in this one room. The doors were bolted shut because they were worried that if the religious leaders found out where they were, that they too would be arrested and possibly sentenced to die even a death upon the cross. And so Thomas is feeling this pressure along with his grief, along with his melancholy personality. And I think it's the combination of those things that's leading to his stubborn unbelief. So I think Thomas is being driven, this is my opinion, uh, but it seems to answer his stubborn unbelief more than anything else that I had read or I had thought about. Uh, It just seems that he's driven more by his emotions than by his belief or unbelief at this point. Um, But it's an expression of unbelief. And the one thing I want to point out or I want to encourage you is that God doesn't just use the aggressive personalities like Peter. You know, we all see people who are aggressive in their faith, who are out on the front lines doing things that we just can't see ourselves doing. Or maybe we have a little more pensive personality. Or maybe as Thomas, a little more melancholy. We we don't we see life uh, from the perspective of the glass being half full. The thing is, is Thomas is one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus intentionally chose Thomas with his personality. Um, it's tempting to look at others and look at their gifts and shrink back and think that we don't have the same gifts or we, we can't go and be as effective. But here's Thomas chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ to be one of His disciples. Whatever personality God has given you, whatever gifts He's given you, whatever gifts that you don't have, but you have other gifts, rejoice in who God made you to be uh, and serve Him wholeheartedly. Because with your personality, whether it be halting or aggressive, You are who God created you to be. It's easy to look at the other person's field because the grass is always greener and uh, think that, well, we don't have those gifts and so we're not going to get out and and trust the Lord and honor Him and, and seek to be used by Him. Don't think like that. But, while I say that, Thomas is expressing unbelief. And God is not pleased with unbelief. And so we're going to look at how Jesus addressed Thomas' unbelief. But first, I want to look uh, quickly at how um, the uh, the seventh day became the Sabbath on the seventh seventh day became the Sabbath on the Lord's day. And I was just looking at that, and several commentators pointed it out. Um, Jesus appeared to the disciples we saw two weeks ago on the day of His resurrection, which was the first day of the week. And presumably, He doesn't appear to them again until verse 26. And it says, eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Eight days later, 
is the first day of the week. And why that little detail? Why does John add that little detail? I mean, we could have gotten the same uh, message from this passage without him adding the, that it was the eighth day of the week. And so it's important. It's a detail in the Scriptures that's important. And I think what Jesus is doing here in appearing on the, the eighth day of, eight days later or the first day of the week is He's beginning to set the pattern that the Sabbath is not on the seventh day, but rather it has been changed to the first day of the week, the day in which He rose from the grave. And so you look at the New Testament and you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Paul says in passing, Now concerning the collection for the saints, this is the offering that he's going to come and collect. Uh, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Why are they collecting on the first day of the week? Because that's when they're meeting together. So, for instance, Acts chapter 20, again in passing. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, and the breaking of bread is not just a meal, this is communion. In other words, they're worshiping. So on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And so then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, uh, the Apostle John, again, kind of in passing, he says, on the first day of the week, uh, I'm sorry, uh, he says, uh, on the Lord's day, uh, I was in the Spirit. And so, he uses this term, the Lord's day. What is the Lord's day? Well, it's the day that Jesus rose from the, from the grave. Why do we worship on Sundays rather than Saturdays? It's not because of tradition. But the Scripture pointed, or the Lord Jesus pointed the early church to that, and we see their practice, and so we are following their practice. In other words, we're, we're trying to be faithful to the Scriptures. So how did Thomas address I'm sorry, how did Jesus address Thomas's unbelief to get back on the subject? Well, verses 26 and 27. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. How did Jesus address Thomas's unbelief? He addressed it with a lot of gentleness. He showed up there again in the room. The doors were locked, but Jesus was not locked out. He appeared and He began speaking to Thomas. And He first said, Peace be to you, to all the disciples. But then He offered to Thomas, Put your hand, or put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and put it in my side. He's being very gentle with Thomas as he seeks to uh, call him to faith. But at the same time, there's a firm insistence that Thomas repent because he said, do not disbelieve, but believe. 
Thomas, in his grief, was testing Jesus. He set the terms of his belief. I am never going to believe, he said, unless I put my finger into the nail marks in his hands and put my hand into his side. In other words, he's saying, unless God lets me do this, I'll never believe. You know, there are a lot of Thomases in this world, slow to believe, suspicious of God, and full of doubts. There are Thomases outside the church. There are Thomases inside the church. Are any of you akin to Thomas? Are you resisting God because you have set the terms? God, unless you answer this question for me, or unless you convince me of this or do this for me, then I'll never believe. Are there any of you trying to set the terms of your belief rather than trusting God? You know, this is the opposite of faith. This is, this is why Jesus says to Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. To demand signs of God is not, being, uh, is not trusting in God. It is presumptuous. While you are craving signs um, for proof, you are stunting your faith. You're stunning the work of faith in your life. So then this raises a question. If you're struggling with faith, then how do you grow in your faith? Well, Jesus spoke to Thomas. Of course, if Jesus showed up and spoke to us, I imagine it would help all our faith. Um, because that is a sign. But also, I think what, what we need to see here is it's also the gentleness and the relationship, um, the communion, communion that uh, Jesus has with Thomas. In other words, to grow in your faith, spend time with Christ. Spend time with Him, with His Word open before you. Pray through the Scriptures. Spend time in very personal relationship time with Him. You'll grow in your faith. You say, well, I really don't know if I have faith. Well, spend time in His Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. Communion with Christ leads to faith in Christ. And so you could, you could for instance, here in this passage... You could uh, thank Jesus for being so persistent and gentle and firm at the same time with Thomas and say, thank you, Jesus, that that's the way you work. Thank you that you were gentle and persistent and firm with me in bringing me to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Or thank Him for the wounds that you see here in this passage. What I'm doing is I'm trying to say here's a way you could relate to Christ and pray to Him just within this passage that we have open here. Thank You, Jesus, that You allowed Yourself to have nails driven through Your hands, that You submitted Yourself to the cross, that You poured out Your blood for Me, and that You did not leave us or forsake us, that just like You came back for um, to the disciples, so You can come to us and You uh, love us and You uh, care for us. And as You spend time with Christ, 
praying through His Word, your faith will grow. Ask God to cause your faith to grow. See, faith is not just believing a set of facts. That's where we get it all twisted, I think, sometimes. It's not believing that Jesus is God, Jesus died on the cross, Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus paid for sin. Those are propositional facts. Faith, saving faith, is Jesus died for me. Jesus is my Lord and my God. And that's what we see here with Thomas in verse 28. Thomas answered, he didn't say, you're the Lord and you're the God and you're God. He said, my Lord and my God. And you can see how deeply personal his faith is. Martin Luther said the marrow of faith is in the personal pronouns. My God. My Lord. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you do, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is an incredible statement of the deity of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that uh, verse 28... Verse 28 is a famous verse in the Bible because people try to get around it uh, so much. They try and, and put it aside. Because Thomas is saying Jesus is his Lord and his God. There are people who do not want Jesus uh, to be God. And so they try, have tried all kinds of things to, uh, to get rid of this passage. And so this was um, uh, from a Jehovah's Witness publication. Uh, in speaking of verse 28, this may be then one of those places where the idioms of an ancient language are not completely understood by modern translators. Um, they also suggested that he may be it may be some type of swear uh, word uh, or or um, um, using the Lord's name in vain on on uh, Thomas's part. In other words, like you see something stunning, you go, "My Lord," and that's not what uh, what is happening here, because Thomas, being a Jew, would not use Jesus' name in vain, and um, Jesus would certainly have rebuked him if he done, if he had done so. But he is calling Jesus his Lord and his God, and Jesus does not rebuke him. He does not say, no, worship God alone. And that's the other way that this passage is treated. uh, People will say that Thomas is saying, um, my Lord and my God, directing it to, uh, to God the Father, even though he's speaking in Jesus' presence. And that doesn't hold water either. Because the literal Greek here says, Kai I'm sorry, it, oh boy, I didn't have it here. Um, let me see if I can, from memory. Kai Apon Alto. In other words, and he said to him. Thomas, the, script, the, the Greek, uh, very clearly says that Thomas was addressing Jesus when he said, My Lord and my God. This is 
a vital point of our theology, that Jesus is God. We cannot compromise on that. In fact, we need to keep that as the four of, of our confession. Uh, this is not a doctrine that just kind of slips in the back door. The Scriptures are very clear. Romans 9, Romans 9 verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, to, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, forever blessed. Amen. He says directly, Jesus is God over all. Titus 2.13 we read as part of our responsive reading. Paul says that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our great God and Savior. Hebrews 1.8, we use this call to worship. But of the Son, he says, and then it quotes from the Old Testament, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Acts 20, verse 28 Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. And so God obtained the church with His own blood. Jesus spilled His blood for the church. And we could go on and on. Thomas may have been slow to believe, but he was not slow to grasp the implications of Christ's resurrection. When he saw the Lord Jesus, and when Jesus spoke to him so tenderly, yet firmly, and said, put your hand into the nail print in my hand. Put your hand into my side. Thomas immediately exclaimed, My Lord and my God! Jesus is our Lord and our God. Do you believe this? That Jesus is God and that He is your God. Do you believe that He is your Lord? The God of the universe. The God who directs history directly according to His will is not just God, but your God. The Jesus who died on the, on the cross for, for sins, died for your sins. And He loved you and loves you still. And He is your God. You can depend upon His protection. You can depend upon His love. You can depend upon His delight in you. When you are tempted, He can help you. Because He is your God. He is your Lord. When you're afraid, the God of the universe, Jesus Christ Himself, is with you. When you are weary, He's God. He knows your weakness and can give you strength. When you are alone, He is with you. God is always with you. The Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that He submitted to the cross, loves you with all His divine love. It is blessed to yield your soul, to yield your life, to yield your will to Him, 
Because He is God who loves you. Blessing will always be the outcome when you wear His yoke and carry His burden. He did not spare His life for you. He went to the cross for you. He is God. He will not give you... Uh, how will He not also give you everything you need for life and for godliness? He delights to do it. He is able to do it. Everything good for your growth in Him and your blessing, He will not withhold. Thomas got to see the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't see Him, but look what Jesus said. Jesus says that you are even more blessed than Thomas. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen Me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The other ten disciples had seen Jesus. They had seen the resurrected Christ. Thomas got to see the resurrected Christ. We haven't. But Jesus, in speaking to Thomas, and to the other ten, is speaking to us. He spoke through the centuries to say that we, in our faith in Jesus Christ, are even more blessed than they. God loves you. He cares for you. He will never leave you or forsake you. I found a story this week that I wanted to end with. It was about a, um, a poor widow who barely was able to earn enough to live. But she was joyful. She was triumphant uh, in Christ. And um, she had a gloomy Christian friend. And her friend said, Nancy, um, almost with disapproval in her voice, she said, Nancy, it is all well enough for you to be happy now, but you've got to think about your future. What if your little job that you have goes away? I should think that you should be should have more sober thoughts about your future than you do and, and be more sober rather than being so happy and cheerful in your faith. You've got to be realistic. She said, only suppose that you got sick for a little time and were unable to work, or your present employers uh, should move away and no one should give you anything to do. What are you going to do? And Nancy said, stop! I never suppose what will happen. The Lord is my shepherd, and I know I shall not want. And honey, she added to her gloomy friend, all that supposing that you are making that makes you so miserable, you better just give all that up and just trust the Lord. Jesus is God. You can trust Him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we worship and exalt in Your presence because we are Your children, bought and paid for by Your precious blood. And if You did not spare Your own life, but gave it up for us all, how will You not also along with us, along with You, graciously give us all things that we need for life and for godliness? 
Lord Jesus, we live here um, in this broken world. We live here uh, continuing as sinners, even though we are saved by grace. And we're, we're very apt to get very discouraged, to take our eyes off of You and place them on our own present circumstances and our own weaknesses, our own sins. And Lord, we, we tend to spiral down. But Lord, help us to remember that no matter how gloomy we get, You are God and You love us. And that's enough for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.